0: So with that being said, as we jump into the second part of the Beatitudes, I want to let you in all all in on a little inside joke um, as we begin. Um, one of the things that Matt and I get um, hassled about sometimes is our it, our. I think see, I think it's a good thing for us because this this is a joke towards all pastors, right? So I feel like Matt and I have had the conversation that obviously we're doing things right. But we get told that we have this tendency to say things like, well, in closing, and then we go for another 15, 20 minutes, right? So with that being said, I'm going to start my sermon with in closing. (laughs) And now it's just going to go as long as I want because that's just the way it is. Uh, But anyways... (laughs) Let's jump into this. So last week we, we started talking uh, with our series in Sermon on the Mount, and it starts with the Beatitudes. And, and if you weren't able to catch last week or, or um, you weren't able to, to listen to the, the sermon, we, we started with just the first th- three of them. And again, Matt, uh, Pastor Matt told me something kind of funny. He said somebody came to him and said, man, I don't know if two weeks is going to be enough. He, didn't even, he just got through three of them. In one week, and there's all these other ones, and I thought that was kind of funny. And Matt already told me I couldn't have a third week, so. We're going to have to go kind of quick because we also have communion. So I'm going to try to go through this as quick as possible and still hit everything. But we started talking about the, you know, the Sermon on the Mount and how this was given to us by Jesus uh, to, to basically reveal to us the possibility. Like not, not just like this fantasy of what our lives can look like, but the reality of what a kingdom life looks like with somebody that has submitted themselves to him. This is the life that Jesus wants to live through us as believers in him. In fact, I shared this last week in Galatians where Paul says, you know, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer my life that I'm living, but it's Christ's life that he's living through me. And and when we process through the Sermon on the Mount, we have to keep this as the foundational kind of understanding about this. Because if I look at the Sermon on the Mount through my abilities, I'm going to fail all the time. Because it is impossible for me to live out the truth of the Sermon on the Mount. That's because it's not about me living out the Sermon on the Mount. It's about me allowing Jesus to live his life through me. And then I'm able to live the truth of the Sermon on the Mount. And we start with the Beatitudes, these wonderful statements of Jesus. And and again, we started processing it last week. And I don't want to take a lot of time, but it helps us understand where we're going to go this morning. Is, Is the first three kind of break down this for us, right? So here's the first three Beatitudes. How do we live the blessed life? How do we live the joyful life? Well, the joyful life is only found in Jesus. And the Beatitudes are walking us through how we have a life in Jesus. First. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's the realization of our spiritual condition, right? Without Jesus, I am spiritually bankrupt. I am completely broken and wicked. I am sinful, total depravity. Apart from Jesus, there is nothing good in my life. Not there's just a little bit of bad. Everything about me is corrupt before a holy God. Apart from Jesus, There's that realization of who I am without Jesus. And then there's the reaction to the realization. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those that understand our condition and are broken over our sin. Where where we actually are just broken by the fact that we have rebelled against God that we have sinned against God that our sin keeps us from a God that loves us and has made us and desires so much for us that we're broken by it which then leads into our response realization reaction and then I respond blessed are the meek those that humble themselves before God Those that actually humble themselves, understanding their need, understanding their stance before God, and submitting their lives to Christ. Blessed are those that hand their lives over to Christ. And one of the things we talked about last week is the fact that many times we can be fooled into thinking that we've given our lives to Christ when we haven't necessarily given our lives to Christ. We just don't want to face the potential possibility of going to hell. So it's like a defiant submission is the way we talked about it last week. It's the, well, if my options are to go to heaven or to go to hell and all I got to do is believe in Jesus, then I'll believe in Jesus because I'd much rather go to heaven than go to hell, but I'm not really going to submit to him, right? I'm not really, like it's still my life. I'm still in control of this. And see, this gets touchy when you start talking about it, because uh, a lot of times we like, don't question my salvation. I mean, I was, here's the thing. I know for a majority of my Christian life, when I was a kid, I can guarantee you, I know this clear as day, that a lot of the times I submitted to God was not because I was truly broken by my sin. I just didn't want to be punished for my sin. Oh, I spent many times at the altar in tears. But it was never because I was submitting to actually change. I just didn't want to be judged. And and, and I'm sharing this again, not to make any of us be like, oh, this is, I mean, but this is where we have to understand. Jesus is saying, if you want the joyful life, it's not about just submitting to him out of defiant submission in the sense of, I just don't want to be punished, but it's about submitting to him out of love because of the love that He has for you and what He has done for us. Like joyfully and willfully saying, Lord, here is my life. It is yours. And I'm going to live everything that I have, every breath that I have, every, every thought I want it to be glorifying to you, not because I have to, but because I want to. Right? There's one of the differences in Christianity is I know for most of my young life, my Christianity was based on the, I'm going to try to be good because I have to. And a lot of the times when I lived with the I have to mentality, I hated the idea of being a Christian. There was a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, a lot of God, you're just keeping me from things. It's going to be joyful to me. You're trying to make it so I'm not happy. You're trying to make it so I'm not enjoying the world, but I don't want to go to hell. Versus Lord, I'm going to obey you and submit to you because I want to, because you're amazing and you're awesome and you died for me and you live for me and you offer yourself to me. That's what I want. So we go over all that because when we look at the rest of the Beatitudes, here's what's awesome. You look at realization and the reaction and the response and then everything after this one, all the rest of the Beatitudes, actually is Jesus revealing to us the results of our submission. He's basically telling us these are the things that you're going to see in your life when you truly submit to me. When you give your life to me and you are meek before me and you become part of my family, you become part of my kingdom, when you are one of my disciples, this is the evidences that you're going to see lived out. This is the result of your submission. See, this is why the rest of the Beatitudes are so amazing, because it, when you think about this, it's, it's evidence of our transformation. When we walk through the rest of these this morning, I hope that it excites us, because these are the things Jesus is saying, hey, if you want proof that you are chasing after me, you're going to see this in your life, and this is evidences of your transformation. Because he's telling us, this is going to get you excited, because you're going to see the work that I'm doing in you also when we see these other beatitudes start working in our lives it's going to give us confidence that the grace of God is powerful because when you start seeing your life changing you see who you were and now who you are and who you're becoming you're going to see the power of God's grace in your life It's going to excite you not only is it evidence of your change but it's going to give you confidence of what's possible Like, this is what Jesus is doing in me. And man, if he can do this, what else can he do? Which then the Beatitudes, then the rest of these become our motivation to keep growing and to keep maturing and to keep chasing after Jesus. Because he's giving us a picture of who he's created us to be. He's like, I died for you and I rose again because this is who I want you to be. This is who I've created you to be. I'm empowering you to be this person. And it motivates us to say, Lord, this is what I want. I want the fullness of everything you provide in this side of eternity because it's going to motivate me even more to experience what's on the other side of eternity. So, we're going to look at some conversions. That's what I'm going to discover. The rest of the Beatitudes are, are we're going to look at different conversions that happen to us after we submit our lives to Jesus. And I said this last week, nobody is ever going to experience these conversions until we first go through steps one through three. I'm never going to experience the first one that says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm not going to hunger and thirst for for righteousness until I'm radically transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. So, So that's the thing we have to understand that these build upon each other. You can't jump to four until you deal with one through three. So we're going to talk about some conversions, this process of change that God is doing in us when we give our lives to Jesus. So the first one is, it's a conversion of our desires in life. The first is a conversion of our desires, a change in what we long for and what we hunger and thirst for. The desire of our life changes when we submit to Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger. So this morning, when you think about this, you've got to ask yourself the question, what are you hungering and thirsting for this morning? What is the desire of your, of your heart this morning? What is the desire of your life? When, when Jesus uses these words and he talks about hunger and thirst, he's not just talking about the stomach is kind of rumbling. He, he's saying this is intense hunger. Like I have to have this. And, and see, we, we don't understand, like, in, in, in most context of us this morning, and, and I don't want to speak for anybody, but, you know, this is one of the things that I always chuckle with my own kids with, you know, they go like two hours without eating, and the next thing I hear is, I'm starving, and I'll be like, no, you're not, and we have this argument all the time, like, I'm starving, it's like, kid, you've never even experienced a hunger pain, I guarantee it, Right? Because it's, a, it's an idea that, that many of us probably have never experienced, but Jesus was probably talking to some people that have actually gone through some intense moments of hunger. And, and he's saying that, that this desire for, for righteousness is like when you're just longing for food. If I don't have it, I will die. It's the source of my life, it's everything that I need hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's the same thing with my kids, and I'm just as guilty as this too, but it cracks me up because they'll come and be like, I'm so thirsty. Go get some water. I want a Dr. Pepper. It's like, you're not really thirsty then, but I am. It's like, no, you're not. Right? Don't we do the same thing? I'm so thirsty. And we go get a pop that doesn't satisfy thirst. We we don't understand this intensity of what Jesus is talking about here. Now, here's the thing that's amazing about this when you think about righteousness is uh, if you look at Scripture, Scripture is pretty clear on what our righteousness is. We actually sing, uh, one of our songs that we sing, you you know, we, we sing these words, you're my one defense, my righteousness. What Jesus is ultimately saying here is that we hunger and thirst for Him. An intense, passionate desire of like, Lord, if I don't have you, if I'm not feeding off of you, Lord, it is like I am dying of lack of food and a thirst that is, I'm parched without you. I need Jesus. But there's two ways of looking at this, this hunger and thirst for Jesus. First is this, someone that has submitted their lives to Jesus. Now don't get me wrong, this might stronger, weaker, different day. I'm not trying to say like it's constantly, but you're going to have this in your life. You're going to have a hunger and thirst for Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, born again, believer in Jesus, it's a hunger and thirst for intimacy with Jesus. Right? Remember, this is evidences that we've submitted to Jesus. So a person that says, I've submitted to Jesus, but if, hear me, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean or rude, but this is Jesus's words. If you don't have a hunger and a thirst for intimacy with Jesus, you might want to ask yourself, have you really submitted to Jesus? Because Jesus says, you're going to want me. You're going to desire for me. Now, Don't get me wrong. There's going to be days where I just said yesterday I had a. Yesterday was a bad day spiritually. I was being rebellious and hungering and thirsting for Jesus. So I'm not trying to say that there's going to be moments where you're going to wrestle with this and you're going to have times where it might struggle and all of that. But overall, you're going to have a hunger and thirst for Jesus, an intimacy. I want to be close to Jesus. But not only that, you're going to have a hunger and thirst, not just for the intimacy of Jesus, you're going to hunger and thirst for the very life of Jesus to be manifested and living through you. You're going to want to live righteous. You're going to have a desire to want to live a holy life. You're going to say the same thing as Paul. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians. He says, I want to know Christ. That's the intimacy part. I want to know Christ. He wants to be intimate with Jesus. And then he says, and to know the power of his resurrection. That's Paul saying, I hunger and thirst to live the life of Jesus. He's like, I want to know the power of the resurrection and participate in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Like, this is Paul announcing this is the hunger and thirst he has. He's like, as a Christian, I want Jesus, and I want to live his life. I want to experience the power of Jesus in my life. That's what I hunger and thirst for. That's what I desire more than anything else. This is what I desire. But what I love is Paul then goes on and says this, he's like, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. He's saying, I'm still hungry. I'm still thirsty. And every day of my life, I'm pursuing this one thing. I'm pursuing to know Jesus intimately, and I'm pursuing to know the power of Jesus in my life. That's my desire. Now, I share this because the world is going to try to get us to have everything but this as our number one And there's going to be times where we're going to get, start getting things wrong and we're going to get off course. And that's why Jesus says, hey, just come back and let's get back on course. Because when I look at this, there's many times I can say, Lord, I don't feel like that's the desire of my heart. And Jesus says, it's okay. Remember. Submit to me. That's your job. Submit to me. And I will give you a hunger and a thirst for me that you've never experienced before. But your job is to submit to me. He gives this promise of we will be filled. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled or they'll be satisfied. Here's the thing that I want us to understand with that. That doesn't mean that you're going to partake of Jesus and then the hunger and thirst is going to go away. In fact, the more that you partake with Jesus, the hungrier you're going to get. It's crazy because he's saying you're going to be satisfied, you're going to be filled, but then the reality is you actually start starving. Like you're like, I want more. And let me give you what this might look like. It's kind of like this. Any, any time that you, you try to get, uh, when you start seeing results in the things that you're doing, right? So you, so you think about trying to get healthy. And when you search, first start trying to get healthy, and you're kind of like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work at it. I'm going to pursue it. I have a desire. I'm going to forsake other things so that I can pursue this. And like, here's the thing. When, when I started better on this journey of trying to get healthier, I, I learned a lesson very quick. Don't weigh yourself every day i knew that already but for some reason i'm an idiot and i'm like "Ah, i just worked out man i lost like 10 pounds had to crap right you don't see results and when you don't see the results that you think you should be seeing it actually discourages you and you kind of start losing your hunger and your thirst for the desire that you have but when you start seeing results it starts motivating you to actually be like yeah this is awesome i'm getting hungrier to keep going My thirst is intensifying to keep going because I'm seeing the results. Here's the same thing with Jesus. Man, your hunger and thirst is never going to go away. But when you start seeing the results of his life flowing through you, it's going to make you even hungrier for more. Because you're going to be like, man, I see results. I never thought this was possible in my life. I never thought God could do this in my life. I never thought God could use me in this way in my life. I never thought I could know Jesus like this in my life. I want more. I want to see more results. So there's a satisfaction in that. There's a satisfaction in seeing where God is taking you because of your hunger and thirst and your desire for him. And then it actually makes you want to go further. So it's this weird thing of being satisfied while never fully being satisfied. Because you see what God's doing and you're satisfied. But you know that he can do even more. So you're not satisfied. And that's what Jesus says should be our desire, a conversion of our desires. The second thing, is, he tells us then there's going to be a conversion of our minds. Now, this is interesting because you're going to be like, he doesn't talk about the mind here, but track with me. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. When we submit to Jesus and give our lives over to him and we're truly disciples of him, our desires are going to change and then we're going to start seeing a change, a conversion in our minds. Think about mercy for a moment. Mercy basically means showing compassion, kindness, goodness to people, right? Showing them these things when they really don't even deserve it. When you choose not to seek revenge, where you choose not to get even, when you choose not to give people what you think they deserve, but instead choose to show compassion, kindness, and goodness towards them. In the scriptures, we are called to things like Patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. These are things that we're called to as Christians. We're called to forgive one another, to bear one another's burdens. This is what we're called to. But the issue is, many times when we hear these words of patience and kindness and gentleness and compassion and, and forgiveness, we attach these actions with feelings. Right? Like, I struggle to forgive because I don't feel like forgiving. I struggle to show compassion because I don't feel like showing compassion. I don't feel patience. I don't feel kindness. But here's the thing. Mercy, to be a person of mercy, is not primarily connected to your emotions, but it's primarily connected. It's a decision of your will. Right. Forgiveness. If, here's the thing. If I'm going to wait till I feel like forgiving somebody, I'm never going to forgive them. Right. I mean, here's the thing. If I'm going to wait to be kind when I feel like it, man, I'm not going to be kind very often. I mean, I'm looking right at him. You ever talk to Philip? <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's like, I don't want to be kind. I'm sorry, dude. What I love more than anything is when they were setting down, his own wife, Haley looks at me, she's like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I was like, that is awesome. So, but this is what I'm saying. If we wait till we feel like it, we're not going to live out these things that we're called to as followers of Jesus, because I don't feel like being kind. I don't feel like being compassionate sometimes. I don't feel like showing mercy. Many times I don't feel like being self control I want to snap. I want to go off. I want to say what I think and what I feel. I want to just blow up at people. I want to smack people. Right? This is what I feel. I watch things on TV and I want to shout and scream and call people names and be like, you're stupid. You're an idiot. Why do you do this? But Jesus says, no, compassion, patience, forgiveness. It's not an issue of emotion. It's an issue of will. And an issue of will is based on how you choose to think. See, if we allow God to change what's controlling our mind, we're all of a sudden, gonna, if like we let God the way He wants to, the Spirit of God, change the way we think... You're going to see that then is going to change the way you view the world. It's going to change the way you view people. It's going to change your attitudes towards things and your attitudes towards uh, situations around you and circumstances. It's going to change even how you feel over time. Many times we're trying to change the way we feel when what you need to do is change the way you think. Because notice what the Bible says. Paul says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He doesn't say feel towards these things, he says think about such things. So when I think about that scripture, here's the thing that goes through my mind. What if we started living like this? What if the people that God calls us to show mercy to, compassion, kindness, gentleness, and he calls us to be people of mercy, what if instead of thinking about them with all the negative stuff that goes through our head, we started thinking about them this way? Okay, I got some issues with this. I'm gonna start thinking about whatever's true and whatever is noble. I'm gonna think about whatever is praiseworthy in them. I'm gonna think about whatever, you know, whatever is good about them. I'm gonna think about whatever makes them worth And you know, like, that's the way I'm going to view this. I'm going to view every circumstance in life through the lens of, okay, Lord, like my heart is heavy and my my feelings are out of control, but I'm going to choose to think on whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Because when I allow my mind to be changed by the power of Jesus Christ, now I'm in a place where I can start showing true mercy because I haven't made it about my feelings. I made it about the way I think to the world around me and to the people around me. See, even if the only thing that we ever think on is the mercy that Jesus showed us, it's more than enough to empower us to show mercy to anyone. See, that's the thing. If you want to be a person of mercy, it's again, not about changing your feelings. Focus on the mercy that Jesus showed you. And when you choose to think on the mercy that Jesus showed you, you will be empowered to show mercy to anyone. And Jesus actually taught us that when he told us about the parable of the unforgiving servant. Servant that owed so much money and was forgiven, but then turned around and demanded money from someone that owed him just a little bit. Instead of thinking about what he had just been forgiven, he based more off off feeling of you better respect me and give me what what you owe me. And that's what Jesus says to us. He's like, listen, if you want to be a person of mercy, think on how much I've forgiven you. Focus on how much mercy I have shown you. And he says, and the promise will be, you will be shown mercy. Now, here's the thing. When we choose to be unforgiving, Jesus is clear that that restrains and holds back God's forgiveness to us at times. But here's the thing. I believe when we choose to allow God to transform the way we think and we become people of mercy, We're gonna find ourselves in a place where we rest in the assurances of the mercy that God has already given us. Right? I don't know about you, but there's many times in my life where I will spend my time actually questioning whether, like, God, are we cool? Like, is your mercy am I in your mercy right now? And I think there's assurances and confidences when we choose to live as people of mercy, God will show us even in more abundance the mercy that he has already shown us. I think Jesus talks about that when he tells us, remain in my love. Allow your thoughts to remain in my love. Allow your thinking to remain in my love. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. But when you stay in my love, you will experience the fullness of my mercy. So there's a changing of your mind. Then there's a conversion of our hearts. He goes on and said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Notice how these are building on one another, right? I desire Jesus. I desire his life. I'm allowing him to transform the way I think and the way I view the world and how I treat people around me. And now he's saying, Blessed are those that have a pure heart. A pure heart simply means this. A person that has a singleness of heart towards God. Meaning, We are undivided. Unfortunately, I think if most Christians were honest with themselves, we would say that we do not live a very undivided life. I know I can say that. Lord, yes, on Sunday morning, I'm very undivided. It's all about you, Jesus. But how much is it about Jesus come Monday morning? How pure of heart am I that I am completely, again, focused on being single, having a singleness of of heart towards God? God where it's uncompromising, right? My desire to please God is uncompromising. I don't go back and forth depending on where I'm at or what's happening or who I'm with. Every aspect of my life is, whether I'm with someone or I'm alone, it's to please God, to have an undivided heart towards God. This is not about external purity, It's not about just what I do on the outside, but it's that internal purity of the core of who I am, uncompromisingly devoted to Jesus. Now realize we grow into this. Remember, conversion is a process of change. But my my question for us to think about is this morning, are, are you in a place where you're saying, Lord, I've submitted to you. I want to desire you. I want to transform my thinking. And Lord, I also want an undivided heart. Do you have a desire for an undivided heart for Jesus? Jesus says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Is that your desire this morning? And don't get me wrong, there are days when it's a struggle where I'm like, Lord, I don't, I don't know if I want to. My weakness, my flesh, I don't want this. But Jesus is like, listen, this is the life I want to live through you. This is my spirit. I want to empower you to have this. Remember, your job is not to love Jesus more. Your job is to submit. My job is to be meek before Christ. My job is to submit to Christ. And then he does the conversion of my heart. But I have to desire it enough to submit. He goes on, he says, the promise for these people, if we have a pure heart before God, an undivided heart, we will see God. Imagine the significance of this to the, to the first hearers of this. These are people that grew up their entire lives being told no one can look upon God. No one can see the glory of God. No human eye can, you know, you remember these are the people that's like we can't even go to the mountain. We can't step foot on the mountain when the Ten Commandments were given. God is so far beyond us and Jesus is saying, but you can see him. This would, this would have been radical to the people to hear this for the first time. And the words that he used, Jesus is saying when he says you will see God, this is what his language means. You get to see God with your eyes. You get to know God in a way that you've never known him before. And you get to experience him in a way that you've never experienced him before. This is what the basic root of the the language that Jesus is saying here. Not only do you get to know him and experience him, you get to see him. And, and, And so let's just talk for a moment the immediate ramifications of that. When we choose to live our lives here on Earth with an undivided to allow God to bring us to an undivided heart where we love Him more than anything else that our entire being is committed to Jesus, I'm telling you right now, you're going to lay eyes upon God. <clears throat> you're going to see him. You're going to see him move in ways that you never thought it possible to see God move. You're going to experience things that you never thought was possible to experience you're going to experience God speaking to you in ways that you never thought was possible. The reason we don't many times is because we wrestle with having a divided heart. And we're not listening because we're not paying attention because we're divided. I'm distracted. I'm looking for other things. I'm chasing other things. And God is constantly showing himself and revealing himself. And he's speaking. But I'm not experiencing it. I'm not seeing it because my attention is on everything else but God. But here Jesus is saying, listen, when you have a pure heart, you're going to see him. You're, you're going to have assurances of your faith. You're going to have confidences in who he is and that he's there with you. You're going to have an intimacy that you've never had before. I mean, this is the stuff as a Christian I would hope that we desire for and say, that's what I want. <clears throat> so again, it's the question, it goes back to the first one. What's your desire this morning? Is your desire to actually see God. Because that's the second part of this. There's an immediate response, but then there's an eternal promise here. Because here's the beautiful part about this. Someday I'm legitimately going to see God. Because I am a believer and I chase after Jesus and I desire to let him live his life through me, there will come a day that I get to lay my eyes on God. That's the beautiful part about this. I don't want to wait until I die to see God. I want to see Him now. I want to experience Him now. I want to know Him now. And that's just going to make that day when I get to see Him in person even more sweet and powerful and wonderful. But this is the promise. Just a couple more as we go through these... uh, Then there's a conversion of our purpose to a conversion of our heart, which then leads to a conversion of our purpose. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Simply this one's, this one's really easy to talk about peacemaker. When you think about this, this isn't just about breaking up fights between people, even though that's important. Be a peacemaker, right? Do that, right? Try to have unity and do that. But the number one thing that you and I are called to as disciples of Jesus Christ is to be ambassadors of reconciliation. You have been given the task and the responsibility to be a peacemaker between God and sinners. Blessed are the ones that take their responsibility serious to go take the message of peace to those that need it, hear it. Be a peacemaker, right? Go share the gospel. Go love people and show them the gospel, but not just in your actions, but tell them about Jesus. And I love this because it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Again, this is so beautiful when you think about it, because basically when I read that, this is what I read. If I'm I'm out trying to reach people for Jesus, if I'm trying to be a peacemaker between people and Jesus, the sinner and Jesus, the sick and Jesus, guess what? I'm going to be called one of God's family. It's like I'm living out the family business, right? That's the family business. That, that's, that's, God's, that, that's what Jesus is about. He's like, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sick. I came for the sinner. I came for the ones that were lost. I came for the sheep that's missing. That's who I've come for. And when we choose to be ambassadors of reconciliation, when we choose to be peacemakers, we're going to have a blessed life of purpose because we're going to be living out the family business. How about you? That's pretty awesome. Get involved in the family business. And live it out and pass it on to others. And then the last one is there's a conversion of hope. Because it ends with persecution. It's like the rest of them we can track with, but then this one's like, huh, that's not cool. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Basically, here's what happens. Just to understand this, how this all concludes with the Beatitudes. Um... Don't ever sign up to be a follower of Jesus and think your life's going to be all, you know, rainbows and unicorns. And in fact, the reality is, is if your life is all rainbows and unicorns, then you're probably not doing very well at following Jesus. Hate to break it to you that way, but that's just the way it is. Um, Jesus actually ends this, he says, listen, when you truly are a person that submits to me, and when you're a person that you hunger and thirst for me, and when you're a person that's actively trying to reach people with the gospel, and you're a person that's actively being merciful and changing the way you think, and when you become a person that has an undivided heart, the world's not going to like you. Because you're going to be radically different than the world. And in fact, it's not just the world isn't going to like you. Satan's really not going to like you. Because here's the thing. You give your faith to Jesus, and then you set off in a corner... Satan's cool with that. Granted, he'll be like, yeah, I lost that one. I don't have that one anymore, but they're not, I don't have to worry about them. They're just setting off in a corner. Jesus is talking about people that aren't setting off in the corner. Jesus is talking about people that are actively out there in the family business, glorifying him, seeking him, telling people about him, trying to make a difference. Satan ain't going to like that. and He's going to come after those that want to step up and get in the game. And Jesus is actually saying you should be happy when you get persecuted, because it shows that you're in the game. It shows that you're being used for the glory of God. See, what I love about the gospel is there's no fine print to Jesus' gospel. Because Jesus says this, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would, it would have loved you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Man, there's no fine print in Jesus' gospel. Jesus said right from the get-go, it's going to have some bad stuff and you're going to get persecuted. And when you do, rejoice and be happy and joyful. He goes on and finishes the Beatitudes with this. Blessed are you when people insult you, you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Change of hope, right? When we give our lives to Jesus, He radically transforms our hope. My hope is not in the perfect life here. My my hope is not into living my best life here. My hope is not into having the most comfortable life here. Jesus says, no, your hope when you follow me is not what happens here. It's what I have prepared for you when you get there. When you get into eternity, you're going to be rewarded. You don't live for the here and now. You live for eternity. And he says there's a blessed life in that. There's a happy life in that. There's a joyful life in that. So as we prepare to go to communion this morning, the thing I love about the Beatitudes again is they're hard and they should never be read flippantly. Because when you look at the Beatitudes, they really do challenge where we're at in our lives. It challenges Wow, where is my desire? Where is my hope? Where is my mind? Where is my my heart? Where am I with these things? And here's the thing. Don't ever leave here this morning thinking, "Well, you know what? I'm going to love Jesus more and I'm going to get my my act together and how I think and all that." What you need to do is it starts and ends in the same place. Submission. When I submit to Christ, I'm empowered. To have a different desire, to have a different mind, to have a different heart, to have a different hope, to have a different purpose. Because again, I can't produce any of these things. It's only through Jesus. So this morning, I don't know if God's, you know, how God's stirring or doing anything. I mean, I don't know. Maybe He's not at all, but I'm assuming He is. Our job is to submit. Our job is simply to say, Lord, I can't do this because I am spiritually poor. And Lord, I am broken because I can't do this. So I'm going to submit to you. And I'm going to submit to you every single day moving forward. That's what the cross is. I mean, when you think about this, the Bible says that Jesus submitted to death, even death on the cross, so that you and I could submit to him and to eternal life. What an amazing thought. Jesus submitted for us so that we could submit to him. And that's where it all starts and ends is in our submission. So I'm going to ask the elders to come and, and get ready with the communion. I'm going to ask us right now while they do that, I just want to ask, just spend a moment in prayer. Spend just a moment in prayer. Wherever God's leading you with right now, if He's, if he's saying, Lord, you know, man, maybe my desire is off a little bit. Maybe, maybe my heart, the way I'm thinking and the way I see people is off. Maybe I'm not living up to my purpose, my hope. Maybe my hope's in the wrong thing. Submit to that. Confess and submit Because we're going to partake of a table that makes it possible to be completely transformed by Jesus Christ.